What's going on, ladies and gents? Robert Sykes, KetoSavage.com. And today I have special guest Jessica Reynolds on the line from Keto Evangelist. How are you, Jessica? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing wonderfully well. We have, we've met each other several times. You, you spoke this past uh week or two weeks ago, I guess, on the low carb cruise and you had a pretty compelling story. I'd love to just flesh that out in detail, but yeah. um, kind of give the audience a little little introduction on who you are, what brings you to the space and a little background on you. Sure. Um, I'm Jessica Reynolds. I do work for ketoevangelistcoaching.com and I work mostly with people who have eating disorders. Um, we have a lot of different coaches there, but those are the people who tend to come to me because of my story and my background. Um, I was sick with anorexia, bulimia, and compulsive overeating uh, until I was 41 years old. Uh, it really started at age 11, and um, a ketogenic lifestyle the last three and a half years has changed my life. Um, it's been good for my body. It's been good for my mind. And uh, now I help other people do the same thing. So that's my passion. And I tell my story whenever I can, because I want everyone to know it's never, ever too late to change. I thought at 41, I had been sick for too long, but that wasn't true. You know, I feel like not near enough people talk about this subject. It's, it's a very sensitive, you know, subject matter. And it, it, it brings up a lot of, uh, you know, very hard feelings and people tend to to hide it and not be open about it. But I think being open about it is the best thing that you can do as an individual to help heal yourself, but then also to help others. Um, so yeah, with that said, let's just start from the beginning. Like what makes you even feel like you, like, what, what compelled you to kind of have these issues to begin with when you were 11 years old? It's interesting because I don't really know when the eating disorder started. I know that I had issues with food prior to age 11. Um, I would hide food and eat it. I mean, this is as a kid. Um, I did some disordered things with food. I even had a child psychologist tell my mom that I was obsessed with food when I was four. So I don't really know where that starts, but the bulimia started at 11. And for me, it was about my body. Um, I was a curvy girl in six grade. I um, kind of just developed earlier than other people. And my friends were kind of still just stick thin. And I had curves. I wasn't big, but I felt different. And I already had kind of disordered eating behaviors, you know, overeating, hiding and eating, eating for um, pleasure, um, for soothing. But I thought I invented bulimia. Basically, I didn't know it had a name. I just thought I had come up with this amazing way that I could indulge in that eating and also still stay thin. Um, and can, can you define like bulimia and anorexia? Like in your words, what are those? Mean? Yeah, sure. So uh, bulimia, most people, what comes to mind is purging via vomiting. Um, and that is what I did. For the first time at age 11, I ate and then I purged via vomiting and um, it felt like a relief to me. Uh, most people would have been, you know, most people are disgusted by that idea, but it actually felt like relief. And I became addicted to that behavior. But bulimia is really anything that you do to try to undo an eating decision. So a lot of times it is using laxatives. Um, man, I, I got really out of control with those at one point. It's amazing I lived. Um, I was taking 77 a day because it took that many to work. 77 laxatives, like in the pill form? Like if I only took 60, I would not, nothing would happen because my body got so used to that. So um, you can you can purge your body with laxatives. You can also purge your body with excess exercise that I, I actually call it bulimic mentality. When you when your goal in doing something is to undo the eating decision that you made that wasn't the right thing for your body. And so, um, of course, anorexia is, you know, it's starvation, it's punishment, it's control. Um, 
there were periods of time where I would go for 10 days and not eat. And um, it's very different than fasting, by the way. That's a whole other conversation. But um, anorexia is about control when your life's kind of swirling around and you can't control everything around you. And when you feel that deep down hunger, that pain in your stomach, you actually feel good about that because you are, it just reminds you that you're doing something that you're in control of. So I struggle with both those things. And I am 5'10". At one point, I was 115 pounds, um, which is, which I looked like a skeleton, um, although I still thought I was too fat. Um, body image, uh, body dysmorphic disorder, um, all those things are usually tied up with eating disorders. And then um, when I found keto, I had given into compulsive overeating for so long, I had gotten up to 309 pounds. So the swing in my weight is 115 to 309. And that wow. has, like, it wrecked my metabolism, especially because it went on for so many years. Yeah, that's something that I, I don't think enough people, like, they, they don't see that. Like, people that have never dealt with this, they they hear somebody talk about it, and it's just so far removed from their reality that they just don't understand it. But like I, I've struggled with eating disorders, so I can understand where you're coming from. And anybody that has, it's like, it's just such, it becomes a part of the day. Like it becomes a norm and you start doing things to hide it. And it, I don't know, like, it's weird. Like it's just such a normal thing for you. But you, re, I mean, when, when did you recognize that something was wrong? Like how old were you? What, what physical act did you do? Or what moment was the aha moment? where like, okay, this is an issue. So, um, I, there's something about an eating disorder that you kind of deep down know you should be ashamed of. Like when I purged for the first time and realized, hey, this is something I can do um, that will keep me thin. I can still enjoy eating. Um, and actually the purge itself was a relief. I know now because I think I stuffed down a lot of anxiety and fear and things like that. And then when I would purge, it would feel like a release of all of that. Um, I knew that it was weird. <laughs> I, even though I, I thought I'm the only person that's ever done this before and I have invented this great thing, I, I knew it was weird and I knew that I shouldn't tell anyone. And that was age 11. My sister did hear me doing it one time. And when I explained it to her, because she asked if I was sick and I was like, no, I just needed to empty out my stomach because it felt too full. Um, but I, I knew then I begged her not to tell my parents. I said, please, please don't tell me. So really five years went by. It wasn't until I was 16 years old and I was doing some drastic other dieting stuff. Um, like I would go for a whole month and only eat eggs. I think I invented the egg fast too, by the way, because that was the 80s. Um, so I would go for a whole, you know, as a as a 14 year old, I'd go for a whole month or I'd, or I'd eat one can of beans, make it last for a whole week. So I was doing these weird things with food and I did lose a chunk of weight really, really quickly. So then my parents noticed and they became concerned. But by that time, I had been indulging in that addictive behavior for five years. And like you said, um, it does become part of what you do. One of the things that I talk about often is that um, the eating disorder makes you, it turns you into a manipulative person. In fact, you will get rid of people that you want to spend time with in order to get alone. You know, I call the eating disorder Ed. <laughs> you, you want to get alone with Ed and you actually will manipulate situations so you can get alone and binge and, or, or binge and purge. And uh, it really it, it's it becomes a source of shame. I know when I was sick um, as a as a young adult, as a as a teenager, when my parents first started looking for help for me, there was nothing because no one talked about it. Um, it wasn't the only person we had ever heard of that had some eating disorder was Karen Carpenter. That tells you how long ago that was. She died from anorexia. So there was not resources and certainly was not something anybody talked about. There weren't, there weren't really therapists who were well-versed in it. So there wasn't a lot of help out there. And so for me, um, my mission in life and what I believe my purpose is, is to shine some light on this. When, when things are dark, when you hide things, when you keep things secret, they 
fester and they grow. And then the shame actually makes you do it more because then you want to soothe the shame. So I think by shining this bright light on it, and it was not easy for me to come out and talk about it at first, but now I'm so glad to, because it helps other people talk about it. And it's so much more prevalent than we think. Um, I would say a huge, huge portion of um, people actually do have some version of an eating disorder um, where they soothe with food uh, or they overeat when they're upset. All of those are, are versions of disordered eating. And by talking about it, it makes it more normal. Yeah, I completely agree. I think for me, I developed mine after my first competition prep where I had just gone so long without eating, you know, to satiety. And that was the first time I'd experienced the prep. I didn't really know what to expect, but I lost like 70 pounds in three months and I, I wanted the show and I got really lean, but it was, I mean, not a healthy prep by any means. And then afterwards, kind of like coming back in a normal, you know, day-to-day -day society, I didn't even know how to handle because my leptin and ghrelin was so screwed up. I didn't know what it meant to like, it's, it's a weird phenomenon when you truly have lost touch of your body so much so that you literally do not know if you were hungry or full, like those are just totally benign feelings. Well, and like I would, I would be, wait, go ahead. I was just going to say, you see people around you and they're full and you're like, what does that feel like? <laughs> you don't even recognize yeah, yeah. what that is. I remember there was there was one time I was visiting my folks. I was in college during my first prep. Afterwards, I was home visiting my my parents, and they made this um this big like homemade biscuits and gravy. This was before I was keto, and I ate like everything. And I started like kind of counting the calories of what that was that I consumed, and it was just like this obscene amount. And that was the first time I you know purged. I went out in the woods behind the house, and I like threw up for the first time intentionally. And it was just like this weird, weird moment. Like I didn't do that very often, but that was the first time I had done it. And it was like this, I was beside myself. Like, what is it that I'm doing? This is clearly not healthy, not sustainable. And this is not what I need to be doing with my life right now. And, you know, my folks didn't know that. I, I didn't, I kept it from them, but that was like the first reality for me that, okay, something's got to change. Right. Yeah. Um, I did, I was in and out of a lot of hospitals. I have to give my parents a lot of credit though. There weren't a lot of resources. They really tried. Um, I was in and out of different hospitals. I finally found one that had an eating disorders program and, uh, got well for a couple months and then went back. Um, I did Overeaters Anonymous, um, you know, the 12 steps. I did all those things. Um, at the time, I think back then, I did not want to give it up. I was addicted to being able to binge and also stay thin. I was addicted to the control of starvation. And I went to appease them. So I think, you know, um, the other thing, I was, I was a vegetarian between ages 14 and 28, so for 14 years. And it's, it's funny, the more I know about nutrition now, I'm like, no wonder I was so messed up because I would eat like all the soy replacements. And we now know what that does <laughs> to you. And so I, I, you know, those were the years I struggled the most with anorexia and was in and out of the hospital because, and I think that decision to be a vegetarian for me was a disordered thing too. Um, there was no good reason behind that. But I also know my brain wasn't nourished. I ate very, very low fat because that was the time. That's what they told us to do, you know. During that time when you're doing the disordered eating, what was your performance like? I'm assuming you just were totally drained throughout the day, every day. Yeah, you know, um, it's that's interesting, too. I was more drained during the periods of severe bulimia because it does take a lot out of you. When I um, some of the times uh, and I know this, you probably fasted some before, but some of the times when I wouldn't eat, I would feel like superwoman. Like literally I would stay up all night and I would organize things and it, it literally it turned on a compulsive thing. And then I would just completely drop. Um, there was a moment um, when I uh, a compelling moment because you asked about that and. One was when my parents found out. And then the second one was I was over 18 
and my parents, I was still living in their house and they took me to a psychiatrist. And as you know, if you're over 18, a psychiatrist um, can't really reveal anything that you say to them. And so I'm talking about what's going on and taking all the laxatives and I'm so sick and extremely underweight. And at the end of the session, he called my parents into the room. I'm like, what is this? And he said, listen, I just want to let you guys know you can expect to find her dead any day. My dad started crying. All right. This is not a crying man. In my life, I have not seen him tear up very often. And my dad started crying. That was a moment for me. But it wasn't enough for me to get well. It was enough for me to realize, man, this is serious. This doctor is saying I'm going to die. And he's telling my parents that they are allowed to tell if your life is in danger. And he actually thought, this is how sick she is. Her life's in danger. And um, that's a moment that I look back on. But it, it also, it heaped shame on me, too, because I felt like, man, I made my dad cry, you know? And yet I still couldn't get free from it. Nothing that I try actually worked. Um, and I, I went to too many therapists to count. Um, but yeah, I was weak and worn out. And it's, you know, it's funny, you know, my husband, Mike, um, when we started dating, I was, the, the anorexia was terrible. And um, I would like, I didn't feel like doing anything ever. <laughs> A lot of times I'm like, why did you go out with me? Um, but I had no, no energy whatsoever. Um, we would just go somewhere and do something. And I'd be like, I need to lay down. And so, you know, my performance in life was pretty bad. I started and stopped college, I think, three times. Um, I would take a few classes and then I would have to drop out um, either because I was having issues with my kidneys because I wouldn't eat or drink or because I was just so sick and I couldn't go around people. So it did affect my life in a huge, huge way. Um, both relationship-wise and um, education-wise, really. From like a strictly physical standpoint, like the the toll on your body, like I imagine, you know, constantly purging has probably had the negative effect on your esophagus over the years. Um, so like what are some specific like damaging points to your body that you sustain? Well, um, I, when I was a kid, my mom was like, super, super, super crazy about our dental health. And so mm -hmm. I always like brushed and brushed and brushed. And I think that was, that helped it from being too bad when I was younger. But then when I got to be about 18 and I was in charge of my own health care, I wouldn't go to the dentist because I knew my teeth were bad. I knew they were. I had never had a cavity up to that point. Um, I often traveled with a toothbrush. Many people who have bulimia do that. Um, but um when I finally did go to the dentist, I was 26 and I like all of my back teeth were rotten out, <laughs> all of them. And um, so I had to, you know, I just basically had this mouthful of decay and I'd been living with the pain of it because I knew what caused it and I knew they would know. And when I would go to the dentist, even after that was repaired and dealt with, um, they would always say, do you have bulimia? your throat swollen. And I would just say, yeah. I mean, it, they know, they literally did know, but I tried to stay away until I got really, really bad. Um, it, some other things, I, I do think that it aged me. Um, I felt like an old person. When I was in my 20s, I felt ancient. Um, I just, you know, mental health wise, complete, complete breakdown. Uh, what I was doing to my body affected my brain. Um, the depression was so, so terrible. I had suicide attempts and on meds for mood disorder, um, on meds for sleep because I would stay up for days, um, on meds for um, anxiety, of course, depression. And there was even a point in time where I was so worn down from all of it and meds didn't work anymore that actually had electric shock therapy. Um, and that was, well, that was the biggest mistake in my life, but that could be a whole different episode because it's crazy, but it basically yeah, 12 times, 12 times. Most people don't even realize that's still a thing. Um, and I, I just wanted to be rid of the obsession. 
and even that didn't work. Um, and so, you know, the ability now to say I am in recovery for three and a half years, it really is a miracle having been through all that. But I, you know, it, I damaged my body. I damaged my brain. Um, and I'm getting better <laughs> and I'm happy. Um, what, what was it like when you would shift from like the 115 up to, you said three, what was it? Three something? 309. What were some of the changes with that? I mean, that, that's, that's quite the fluctuation. It's insane. It really is. And I look like a different person every, <laughs> every picture. It's kind of nice to look similar all the time now, but, um, I, I would get so worn out. I think my body was worn out. My mind was worn out. I just was like, I don't even care enough to purge anymore. I, like the thing I always did <laughs> to stay at least normal weight. Um, you know, when I would, when I would go through periods of anorexia, I would do that and I'd get really small, but eventually I would just get to the place of like, if I don't eat, I'm going to die. And then I couldn't eat without binging and I would rebound really hard. Um, and, and then I would start purging again. And most of the time my weight was normal. Um, so I had extreme low and then I, the, at the point where I got to extreme high, I had withdrawn for life. Um, I don't know any other better way to say that besides um, I had accepted that I was just screwed up. It was who I was. It was part of my identity. It was nothing I could change. There was no medicine, no crazy treatment, no doctor. There was nothing that was going to help me. So I gave up. And the only thing I got pleasure from was eating all the time. And I stayed angry if I didn't have food. Um, I'm sad to say it affected my husband, too, because he kind of ate with me, not to the same level, but it certainly played into some of his issues. But and then I had guilt over that. But I um, I didn't go outside the house. Um, there was a point in time where Mike said, you know, when's the last time you you left the house? And I'm like, I haven't we, we looked at him like I hadn't stepped outside in five months. Like I hadn't stepped out into the sunlight. I'm not talking about going somewhere. I'm talking about I hadn't literally put foot outside the house in five months. I had given, wow. and that actually turned into a fear. Um, my I did wind up going to therapy in the midst of that, and especially after realizing, wow, I haven't left the house in five months. Um, and I was diagnosed with agoraphobia, which is fear of outside. Uh and I had to start all over. I didn't, I couldn't drive for five years. I was afraid to do that. Um, I wasn't on social media. I didn't see people. Um, I would go to the therapist. Uh, but I mean, I literally had to start with, Jessica, how many days this week can you go out and try and walk to the mailbox and get the mail? And I would say, no, no, no. A neighbor might see me. I can't do it. How do you enable yourself? Like, what do you do throughout the day to make that feasible? Like groceries, for instance. Like, what did what did you do? Like, what kind of practices did you put in place in your life at that time to to even allow that? Well, it, again, I it, it, not to not that it was his fault, but I had a husband who enabled me. Also, um, he has always been this guy that's like super, super supportive and um, wanted me to be happy. And it felt like the only thing that gave me any peace and happiness was food. So I can remember, mm -hmm. I can remember saying, you know, he would call every day on the way home from work and say, what do you want? And I'd say, well, I, you know, I want pizza and I want donuts and I want chips and I want, it. this is every single day, every single day. Um, and he would buy tons and tons of stuff and I would eat it all, all of it. There was never anything left. It was like a, a bottomless pit. You talk about, you know, losing sight of your hunger and full reflex. Um, I didn't know about leptin and ghrelin back then, but I knew that there was a switch that most people had that said you're hungry or you're mm -hmm. full. And I knew that I had burned mine out. That's what I would say. I don't have that thing. It's burned out because I ignored it and starved and I ignored it and binged. Um, but yeah, I would binge on, you know, uh, an entire Papa John pizza 
um, 12 donuts, an entire bag of Doritos, um, you know, all kinds of drinks, uh, ice cream. I mean, it was a, a whole thing of Ben and Jerry's, like the amount of calories that I could consume in a tiny amount of time was unreal. I mean, I, I'd actually be interesting to know how many calories, but that would, that's, that was a daily thing. So for me to get up to 309, I feel like if I had not come to, if I had not found a ketogenic lifestyle when I did, I would be one of those people that would be on my 600 pound life or um, that they would have to you know, take down a wall to bring me out of the house because that's where I was headed. There was, there was no boundaries anymore. I would not, I wouldn't step on the scale. I knew I was bigger than I had ever been in my life, but I just avoided it. I, I just did. I avoided everything. Um, and food was my entire life. And I would still purge sometimes then just so I could eat more. Um, what happened when you were 41 that like triggered you to, to make a change? Like what was the, what was the, the tipping point? Um, I had gotten to the place where, uh, well, none of my, there weren't, there was no pants that fit. I was like pants size leggings. Um, but I was, I was, I was huge. I mean, I really, really was nothing I owned fit me. And I was wearing the same pair of leggings, um, every single day. And I didn't take a shower, didn't change clothes. Um, the depression was horrific. Um, I didn't care if I died. In fact, I would say that I would be like, you know, I, I'm not suicidal, but if I got hit by a bus, I'd be cool with that. Or if something happened and I got a disease and died, I would be glad because it would be a relief. I would say things like that. And I meant them when I said it, um, which is a little bit different than being suicidal. I just didn't want to live. Uh, my life consisted of nothing. Uh, I didn't go to my daughter's school. Um, Mike went to everything. He took care of Clara. He went to her cheerleading. I never met her teachers. I, it was, I was absent from life. I was not living and I didn't care if I died until, um, I started having these sort of like blackouts. I would laugh or I would have a strong emotion and literally like stars would come and I would black out. Um, and when I would lay in bed at night, my chest, my own chest was so heavy that I felt like it was crushing me and I would wake up gasping for air. And that, at that point, Mike's like, listen, I, I, I can't, we can't do this anymore. You really are going to die. He, he kind of said, we have to do something, honey. This is, how far is this going to go? And so he, he kind of forced me. I had been avoiding the doctor um, for many years actually, because I didn't want to be judged because of my weight. I didn't want to talk about the eating disorder. I didn't want to do any of that. So I'd been avoiding the doctor and, um, he forced me to go and have my blood pressure taken. And I went to one of those like little, you know, clinic things and did my blood pressure. And it was hot. Like it was insane. It was in the hypertension. You might have a stroke and die right now. Right. <laughs> And suddenly when I saw that and I looked at the words on the screen, it said at severe risk for, you know, stroke, um, heart attack, it said all this stuff. And it's like something woke up in me and I thought I could die. I really could die. And I started thinking about all the things that I would miss in my, in our daughter's lives. And all of a sudden I realized I really do care if I die. That was wrong. Um, now that I'm faced with the possibility of death, I don't want to. I really don't want to. I want to live. Um, so that very day, um, Mike said, listen, well, we, lo we have lost weight on low carb in the past. We had done Atkins and other versions of low carb, you know, 10, 15 years prior and had lost weight. And I remembered on Atkins, I was like, well, I, I just basically ate unlimited meat. <laughs> and so at least I can, I can binge and I'll still lose weight. That's what I was sort of thinking. Um, and so mm -hmm. uh, we decided to start a low carb diet. And I remember the first thing I ate was I went to, we went to Chick-fil-A and I got a 30 piece chicken nuggets <laughs> because in the past when I had done low carb, 
um, it, the ingredients didn't matter. Like it, they, they just didn't, it was about carbs. And I knew that, I knew that Chick-fil-A nuggets had like 1.2 grams of carbs per nugget. So I ate 30. That was my first low carb meal. Um, but it was something, it was better than binging on pizza and binging on, uh, donuts and everything else. So, um, I did that for a couple of weeks and I was still, still binging, but I, I did start to actually drop some weight again. So I was starting to feel slightly better. Um, and then, uh, I decided to get back on social media because Mike was like, it would be a really good job, a good thing to have, get in some like low carb groups, <laughs> um, on Facebook and he stumbled across ketogenic success. And I didn't know it was any different than just low carb, but he added me to that group. At the time it was a small group. And I kept seeing like people's success pictures and there was only a few thousand people in there. And, and uh, I was curious. I'm like, how is this different than what I'm doing? And I, I learned a couple of things. One, you know, ingredients matter. Two, a ketogenic diet, is, a healthy ketogenic diet is ingredients focused, but it's also high fat, moderate protein, low carb. I knew how to do low carb, but when I realized this, I thought it was odd. Um, it took me a while to mentally wrap my brain around the fact that I, I mean, the fact that I should eat fat. Um, but that's when the, I, I'm going to say that's when the miracle started. Honestly, I, when I figured that out and when I actually gave in and trusted and started to eat fat, within two months, I wasn't purging. I wasn't binging. So two months after adding high fat to my diet, eliminating the things I was addicted to, sugar, carbs, grains, um, and adding a lot of healthy fats to everything, two months went by and I did not binge and I did not purge. And I knew that something was different about this. After all, I've been searching for something my whole life to get some freedom from it. I'm like, why is this different? And that kind of sent me on the journey to learn every single thing I could about a ketogenic lifestyle. I read every book I could get my hands on. I, I looked at every website. I watched every podcast. This was life changing. And I wanted to understand scientifically, why is this happening? Because I want to make sure that this isn't a fluke. Meanwhile, time is passing and I, I'm still not binging. I'm still not purging. Um, and, and I'm getting, I'm like sucking up all the knowledge I can possibly get. I got involved in that community um, in ketogenic success and that's part of Keto Evangelist. And they asked me to be an admin in the group. So I spent, I still wasn't really leaving the house, but I spent, so I spent a lot of time on the computer and, and um, helping other people. Uh, and I would tell them, hey, you know, this this works for me. I did this. And um, after about a year, um, I decided to share my story. And I remember um, the first time, and I hadn't fully lost all the weight I wanted to lose, so I was really anxious. And I also knew that it might be controversial that I was talking about eating disorder. But I decided to share a before and after picture and tell my story. And um, I remember feeling nauseous, like literally I was like, I had written it all out, I had the picture up there, I'd made it. And I, like, just to click post, I literally like walked away and came back and walked away and came back. When I hit post, the most amazing thing happened. Like, it was like this huge burden was lifted off my shoulders, I almost felt euphoric. Because this thing that I had hidden my whole life and felt ashamed of and felt, you know, in, in the thing that defined me as a sick person that I believed that I was, was something now that I was putting out there for the world to see. And I wasn't holding it in anymore. I wasn't hiding it. And I have to tell you that the, the feedback I got on the post, um, it, it just like people came out of the woodwork. Me too. Me too. I can't believe you're talking about this. Me too. Um, and again, so that, that sort of is how I got into helping other people. And I was doing that for a while before um, Keto Evangelist uh, approached me about coaching. Um, and when they did, of course, I was like, I can't do that. I'm not good enough to do that because, you know, low self-esteem. Um, but I 
didn't, I, I kind of said, I'm not ready. Um, and then I waited a few months and I said, yeah, I think I want to do this. I'm really kind of doing this anyway with people in my community. Um, there were so many people on Facebook that mm -hmm. I was talking to, um, personal friends who I had helped lose weight on keto and help with their eating disorder. Um, and, and so that's really, that's my story. And now it's been three and a half years and I've been clean and food sober and I'm happy and I lost 135 pounds and I'm healthy and I want the world to be healthy. <laughs> so, yeah, sorry, I can go on and on. I'm a, I'm a little bit passionate. <laughs> no, no, this is great. I love, I love passion. There's so much to be said for putting yourself out there and speaking on those things that are the closest to you and the most guarded. I mean, I don't know. There, there's so much to be said for not having any secrets. Like I try and live a life with no secrets. Like if I, I think that's honestly where a lot of my self-confidence comes from. If you have no secrets and you put yourself out there and people accept you for who you really are, not only do they expect you, accept you even more so, but they trust you and you, you have, you have a better foundation upon which to tell your story and have a better impact. So I, I commend you for putting yourself out there and speaking on a sensitive subject. I wish more people would. Um, with, with with you doing that, when with you putting yourself out there and 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 just kind of getting the feedback that you've gotten and now being like a coach and everything, it, it's cool for me to see because there's so many different coaches out there. Every every coach has got their own style. You know, there's a, a different type of coach for whatever your different goals are. But I think it's so good that whoever you're working with as a coach has been through the same thing that you're going through. I feel like it's important for the coach to be working with a client that has, has gone down a similar path. Otherwise, it's just there's just a disconnect there. So I feel like you catering to these type of people that have gone through something similar is is a paramount and, and they come to me <laughs> I'm, i've never been one to uh i'm not great at self-promotion to be honest with you i it that part of what we do in this i think coaching industry and 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 right now kind of the keto industry is we put ourselves out there and but i've never done that very much um what i've found uh -huh. is that uh -huh. people google eating disorders <laughs> and keto and they they find me or they saw my story somewhere. I have been very, very blessed to have been in a couple of magazines and a bunch of people found me that way. Um, and it's just, I just feel like the people who are supposed to be with me, find me. I never have to go and kind of search for them. And I agree with you on the coaching thing. If someone else can help someone more than I can, I want them to go with them. There's a reason you coach yeah. my husband and I mm -hmm. don't <laughs> because he connects yeah. with you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you motivate him where apparently I don't. Um, but no, you, you, you really do. You have to connect with your coach. There has to be something in common. And I think with this thing with eating disorders is people are so relieved to talk to someone who knows what they've been through. I, I talk to people that have had, you know, that have binged and purged for 20 years and they've been married the whole time. They've never told their husband. It's so secretive and shameful. That is just such a relief to be able to say it to someone who will not judge them and not think they're crazy. Um, so there's that part. But I work with them a lot on, you know, a little bit of it's about the food. Um, keto is a tool, but there is also what we work on is behavioral changes. Um, I work with, I, I use cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, and basically the goal of that is to get people to explore their own thinking. Um, why did I do this in the past? And also understand that no matter how many times you've repeated a cycle, if it no longer serves you well in the life that you want to have, you can change that. Um, we practice things like, you know, paying attention to what the sabotaging thought that you have is and questioning that. Like, yes, I've always just listened to that sabotaging thought and got along with it. Now I'm going to acknowledge that thought and I'm going to speak back and say, no, I'm not doing that or I'm doing something different now. Or, I don't do that anymore. So a lot of what we do is the behavioral part. Food is like 10%. Um, yes, I am good at calculating macros. <laughs> I do know how to do that. But, you know, I always say uh, 
or I said this on the cruise, I do always say, um, people don't really come to me for macros. They come to me, they're, they're, they're all to pieces. They're broken. Um, they can't, they're stuck. They cannot get out of this cycle that they're in and they want, they wake up every day and they want to get well and they're so sick of it, but yet they still keep doing the same thing. And I think those are the people that come to me and, um, I'm just so grateful to say that we've had some great, great success. Um, there are people now today that are like me. They're in recovery. They don't do the things they used to do. And I, for me, this, I get a little bit emotional. For me, the idea that something in my life, the worst, awful, secretive, shameful thing that I went through is being used to help heal other people. That is a beautiful, beautiful miracle. And I feel grateful every single day of my life. And I wake up and I say, thank you, God. And I'm grateful and I'm happy. And um, it's just the way I live now in pure gratitude. And when you stay grateful, that helps you stay sober also. That is truly the right reason to do what it is you're doing. I mean, there's so many people that are motivated by, you know, monetary means or very short term, you know, wins, quote unquote. But when you're when you're waking up and driven by that simple, simple factor, you know, having the opportunity to take what you've been through and pass it on and help somebody else like that, it doesn't get any better than that. Like there's nothing more fulfilling than that. And it makes all the heartache and hardship and emotions that you went through in your life stand for something bigger than you like that those weren't just a step back for you those were an opportunity for you to learn and then pass on what you learned to others and that makes your life have meaning you know like that's, I, I, that's i'm huge. redeemed that's the word i use i'm you know um people say sometimes to people one day you know this will be this will turn out for good <laughs> one day this will be used for mm-hmm. good and that used to make me so furious because i'm like there is no way anything good could ever come through through from all this pain that I've been through. I literally would be angry if someone said something like that, being positive. Um, And here I am. I mean, that's exactly what's happened. My life has been redeemed. I have purpose. Um, When you are, and I know you know this too, because I hear your passion, but when you wake up and you know that your day is going to be full of operating in your purpose, it is so exciting. You guys know this. I don't even drink coffee. Uh, I don't need to. <laughs> it's between the ketones and the excitement of getting to do every day what I'm meant to do. It is the thrill of a lifetime. So I'm getting goosebumps right now. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I, I want everybody to experience that. Like I, I feel the same way. Like I'm high on life for that very reason. And I feel like if you don't have that, like if you're not waking up with that kind of drive and inspiration to just put in the work and have an impact and have a positive influence on others, then then you're living selfishly. And that's that's maybe a negative statement, maybe a little bold, but I, I believe it. You know, I feel like if you if you don't experience what we're talking about right now, then you need to change something in life to experience it. Because I can't imagine anything in life being more important than helping others in some form or fashion. I mean, that's what, I mean, relationships are what it all boils down. That's what it's all about. You know, whether it's your, your friends, your family, or, or some stranger that you've never met before, that's what life is all about. And if you're not living in line with that, then I, I don't know, like uh, to me, that's what you should yeah, be living for. Yeah. You know, I am, I have had times in my life where I had jobs where I made a lot of money. Um, this is not one of them. <laughs> Um, it, it, it literally doesn't matter to me. It literally, like I, in the past had jobs where I was respected, um, where income was awesome. And I was the most miserable human being because I was putting on this front, like I had it together. And then behind closed doors all to pieces. And I felt like a fraud and I felt like I had, I was split. I had to be two different people. And there is no happiness in money when that's all you have. There is no happiness in success or even respect when that's all you have. If you don't have purpose, if you can't really be who you're meant to be, 
then there is no lasting happiness. It comes and it goes and people try to buy happiness and they use different things, but happiness comes from operating in your purpose. And use the word selfish and I kind of get that. Um, I would say when you are afflicted with an eating disorder, you are obsessed with self. And in fact, you're so obsessed that you spend all your time and energy thinking about either food or your body or um, you know, weight gain or weight loss. And it keeps you from your purpose. See, that's the most beautiful thing about all of it. When you remove the distraction of shame, when you remove the distraction of the eating disorder constantly plaguing you, your mind is open and you start to see what your divine purpose is. You start to see it comes to you. Like I said, in my journey, I didn't seek that out. It came to me and it was a surprise. I never imagined this is what I would do, but I do it because it's what I'm meant to do. And, and it took getting past focused on self, which is, you know, eating disorders are the ultimate focus on self. I don't think people choose that, but I think that when you're so bound up in it, you absolutely cannot see the opportunities around you or you can't see what you are meant to do. The clearer you are and the cleaner you are and the more you take care of your health, the better you feel and the more able you are to help other people. And I think that's I think that's purpose. When you are helping other people, we're not here for selfishness. We are here to make an impact on others. I completely agree. There were several times when I was struggling with these issues where I would be, you know, like with my younger brother, or with my parents or with some family and they would need me for something. And I wouldn't even be present. I wouldn't even be in the moment because I would be fixating on when my next meal was, what it was going to be. And then after the fact, I would reflect on that and be like, well, hold the phone here. Wait a minute. I literally, I mean, what if something happened to them? What if some crazy thing happened and that was the only opportunity I got to see them? And here I was not even taking advantage of that moment. I was not present. I was thinking about something as minuscule as my next meal. And that is no way to live like that. Just I had, I had the same thing when I would I had super bad acne when I was younger and it would just cloud my mind. I had no self-confidence. I had no clarity to what I should be spending my time doing. And that was amplified that much more when I had the eating disorders. But when you have that removed, you know what your purpose is in life and you can attack it each and every day. Like you can get so much more done. You can make a bigger impact. And your life has meaning like you. That's what gets you excited to wake up and and be. Yeah, it's really twofold, too, because, you know, just to insert a plug for keto here, <laughs> I mean, the mental clarity that comes when your brain is operating on the optimum fuel is a part of this, too. None of the therapy in the world helped. No hospital visit helped. But I felt like when I when I got free of the carbs and garbage that I was addicted to, not only did it take away that physical craving, but I could think more clearly than I ever had in my life. And mm -hmm. it's like all the therapy that I had, all the hospitalization, all everything I learned, everything I knew, but could never apply to me. It's like all the therapists held hands and I understood and I could work through my issues beyond just the eating, why I did it. And, and it, I mean, really uh, just amazing, amazing how that affected my brain. Um, and so I'm just, again, incredibly grateful for finding, uh, finding that real food could, could impact me like that. I never would have imagined that food was a big chunk of the answer to my eating disorder. Yeah, I don't know the exact mechanics of it, but I can attest to that for sure. I mean, when I switched over to, you know, low-carb keto, I, I was into my body again. Like, it took time, but I was much more instinctive with what my body actually needed. I can kind of pull the reins back on the binge eating and it just seemed to click. Like it just made sense. Like I, I innately knew when I was hungry, when I was full, and then I just ate accordingly. And I never had that prior to keto. Like it was just this strange new phenomenon. Um, to get a little technical with regard to the nutrition, you know, you said that you were sticking to like a higher fat intake, like a standard keto approach was. A lot of people argue that if you're trying to lose body fat, you know, and you're taking in too much dietary fat, 
you're not going to really tap into your stored body fat. But it seems like that wasn't the case for you. Well, you know, um, this is a huge conversation in the keto community all the time. And when someone says, if you're eating a lot of fat, you can't lose body fat. I just post my before and after picture because I eat a tremendous amount of fat. One of the reasons I do that is my daughter has epilepsy. Um, we're a keto family. My husband's keto. My daughter's keto. She's coming up on her three-year keto grocery. Yay. Um, and I realized some of the times that I was sick and I was on meds for my mood disorder and depression, they were on the, they were the same meds that she was on for epilepsy, the exact same meds. So if a diet that helps her brain and keeps her seizure free, and it does, if, if that high fat diet helps her brain enough to keep her seizure free, why would it not be really, really good for my brain? So the reason I ate uh, high fat was for satisfaction, first of all. But when I really realized, you know, the science of it, if it, if a ketogenic diet is good for her brain, it's got to be good for mine. And that involves high fat. But the reality is I used to wear a 22 women's. Now I wear eight or 10. I lost 135 pounds in every single day. I eat very, very, very high fat. Um, and so my story would not be possible if that theory were true, that you're, you've got to burn through all the fat that you eat before your body taps into its fat. It's just not true. My, my picture, my story, it proves that. Um, and I do, I'm very flexible in terms of ratios. Now, keto is high fat, moderate protein, low carb. There's There are ratios within that um, that are right for different people, depending on their activity level and all that. But if you have mental health issues like I did, if you struggle with anxiety and depression, if you have an eating disorder, I, I've got to recommend high fat because that is, again, it didn't just curb my binging. My brain works in a way that it never did on any other way of eating. Um, so I do think there's some science there because of seeing Clara's situation, you know, with, with epilepsy and her being able to, you know, she, she used to take six pills a day. She takes one. Um, and she hasn't had any breakthrough seizures at all. And where she used to take six pills and still have seizures, I just, this brain health piece is legit. <laughs> and I don't know everything, but I know it works. What about like, um, like you, you've obviously figured out what works really well for your body. And I mean, it's kind of like your, your life and your health depends on it at this point. So I don't, imagine you'll deviate too far from that what is your take on you know all these uh you know carb ups and kind of having more of a diverse you know plate and all that jazz? <laughs> i'm just hitting you harder with them right now <laughs> yeah yeah so so the big thing here is that one i don't think it's ever good for you if you're gonna eat inflammatory food i mean if you're gonna eat foods that cause inflammation in your body i just think it's not good from a health standpoint um, so I never recommend that to anyone. Um, the other thing is, I don't know why I would consume something that made me fat and sick in the first place. I'm never going back to that. I also know I was addicted to carbs. So food sobriety for me is something I choose every single day. Um, I never, ever, you know, I've had hundreds of clients and I would never, ever, ever sanction a carb up for a couple reasons. One, health. Two, um, I think staying in the continuous state of ketosis really helps with building those ketones and think clearer and you, you work better. And then the addiction piece. Um, for me, it would be when someone says, uh, you know, it's okay to carve up or so-and-so carves up, I say, are they an addict? You, we can't do, if you have an addictive mind, addictive brain, you can't indulge in the thing that you're addicted to. It's just like telling an alcoholic, but you know, every other weekend, go ahead and have a few drinks. Um, for for us, for the community of people who use a ketogenic lifestyle for our eating disorders and for our mental health, we we really we can't do that. Um, it always turns into a spiral, or it affects us in a pretty severe way. So I am. I, I don't know whether, any other way to say it. I'm I'm not wishy washy on that at all. I'm hardcore. No, no, I'm I'm in the same boat. It, it's good to, to see 
and interact with somebody that's kind of in the same frame of mind. I mean, I, I, I do believe that everybody's got, you know, some kind of nutritional protocol that's going to be best for them. Like we're not all the same, we're all cut from the same cloth, but you know, when you're fitting into the ticket of, you know, having struggled with these addictions and just knowing what works for you, like, I don't feel like you're sacrificing anything, especially from a performance standpoint and a cognition standpoint by not having the carb ups. I don't think your hormones have suffered any. You know what you said, cognition, and that just like so sparks something because this is that this is that brain thing again. So my daughter Clara, oh, super keto Clara, is she's almost three years keto, and not only did her epilepsy, um, it, not only has it improved, and she is not having seizures. She went from, I mean, she started this thing in fifth grade. Anyway, she scored at no, she started in fourth grade. And she took her standardized testing and she scored at a fifth grade level. And we're like, woohoo, our kid's smart. She's a grade ahead. So she starts keto for epilepsy. That is why we did it. And it's like her brain turned on. So the last three years, she has scored 11.5 grade level and this past year college level overall in every subject. And the only change is her diet. So I cannot express enough how <laughs> this is not a guess that it's that the high fat's good for our brain. It it is. There's too many examples and so much proof. You know, like like how much proof is that that her brain literally works better? Hers does and mine does. Um, so if I know there are people out there that are kind of a, afraid of fat, um, and I was too. I grew up in the low fat generation. Um, but it might be the piece that you're missing. People do low carb and they don't feel good. It's because they're not fueled properly. Um, and that really could be the piece. You've been afraid to try that. And then the other thing is people put out advice, like they say things in definitives, like you can't lose fat if you eat fat, right? We see that. And everyone buys into that and doesn't understand that that isn't true for everybody. And I think so it's sort of dangerous in the community to get so locked on to um, thinking that everybody's exactly like you, that that causes some of this, some of this stuff. Um, I, I don't judge what other people do. I, I do like for people to be nice to each other. I don't like, ugh, I don't like when people are, yeah, so <laughs> I don't like when people are militant and they're like, no, no one should eat fat. I'm like, well, no, you don't know me. I really need to eat fat. Um, I, I, I say not everyone needs the amount of fat that I do. Um, but I definitely need it. Yeah, totally. Totally agree. I'm going to play devil's advocate for a second here with regard to like anorexia, for instance, you know, you would, you would go days on end without eating. And, you know, fasting is a, a big part. It's very popular in the keto space. Is that kind of like a trigger similar to carbs would like is fasting a, a bad, um, does that play bad on your psyche or how, how do you approach that? Okay. So this is, this is interesting. I have a unique take on that. Having been someone who's in recovery from anorexia, I do use fasting in my ketogenic lifestyle. I didn't start off doing that, but um, being completely satisfied, I got to the point where, wow, I'm realizing I'm not hungry. I don't want to ignore that full reflex anymore, right? So I realized that it wasn't really healthy to eat really, really low calorie, that fasting was in fact healthy. I read Dr. Fong's complete guide to fasting. And that's mm -hmm. really what got me interested in it when it first came out. Um, that that guide. And what I learned was when you fast for periods of time, you can heal metabolic damage. And that intrigued me because I have a lot, lot, lot of metabolic damage. And so I decided to try a fast. And I have to tell you, I got some flack because in the eating disorder community, that's like, what are you doing? And, and I will say, if you are currently struggling with an eating disorder, you probably don't need to fast. If you are in recovery and your mindset is right, fasting is healing. It is not starvation at all. When I do a fast, I'm like, this is so good for my body. In fact, I'm healing some of the damage I did from starvation by fasting, <laughs> which is interesting, right? Um, 
so so there are people that should not fast if you are not well if you are not doing that but fasting is not punishment it is about healing uh anorexia is about control and it's about punishing yourself and it's it's it the whole mindset is completely completely different so i do think that done correctly and used correctly fasting can be very healthy i am able to do it um, but sometimes I meet clients who who have fasting as part of their um, routine, and I ask them to stop, even though it is really good mm-hmm. for their body. Um, their mind isn't right. They will fast for a few days and then binge. If your fast ends in a binge, you should not be fasting, because or totally or if your fasting is to try to make up for oh you know what I ate off plan or or I binged so now I'm going to fast no that's bulimic thinking right um so I asked them not to fast so again it can be such a good thing I personally am at a place in my journey where I appreciate it it resets my hunger every time I feel amazing when I fast um and so I choose to do that but I think it is something that you have to look at on a case by case basis. And it certainly does not play into or trigger my anorexia. Um, I feel amazing. <laughs> I come out feeling great. I did not feel amazing when I had anorexia at all. I have energy. I did not have energy. So, um, so yeah, that's sort of my, my take on it. No, that's a good position to have. Sure. I feel like it all, all comes back to mindset and where you're at in the healing process for sure. You know, I, I don't like it when I see people who are not ready too fast and then they throw themselves into it and then it winds up backfiring on them. So knowing and being self-aware where you're at and then, uh, you know, adjusting accordingly with where your fasting goals are, um, that's key for sure. But I think that approach that that you just described is the way people should go about it for sure. Well, I I kind of, um, I... (laughs) I know that public like group fasting is a is a big thing. In fact, there's one going on right now um, that's that's kind of big. Everybody's doing this three day fast. Um, and for me, if you are an eating, if you have an eating disorder or if you have struggled with that, it's better not to participate in those things. Your motivation for fasting needs to be for your own health. And what I've seen a lot of times in the past is if I would say, hey, I'm doing my monthly fast. Who wants to join me? Because I'm thinking this is good, right? I'll motivate people. People would, people are like, okay, I'm going to fast. And then they would make it one day and they would eat. And then they would go into a deep depression. They would beat themselves up because they couldn't stay on the fast. It, it wasn't for them at that time. So I am really quiet about fasting. <laughs> I do it every month, but I don't tell anybody. Um, because I don't want people to think they need to do exactly what I do to get the results that I have. We are all too different. And I, people beat themselves up sometimes when they join this, this um, group fasting mentality. While there's a lot of support there, what I found was uh, there's a lot of shame that happens. People fall off and they're ashamed to say so, or um, they're just like, oh, I'm a loser. I only fasted three days. I'm like, what? You fasted three days? How is that being a loser? Um, so so I'm kind of, I, I'm a quiet faster. Uh, people generally do not know when I'm fasting. If they ask, I'll be honest, but I, I generally don't tell them. No, that's that's a good approach. I totally agree. I think, you know, pe- people hype things up a lot, which is, I mean, I don't ever think it's meant in, in with bad intentions. I mean, I think it's great, you know, the community – that Laura's trying to help and motivate and inspire others, which I'm more power to for all means. Um, I've only fasted a, a handful of times. I did like a four and a half day fast once. And I did it kind of as an experiment just to see how my body responded because I was getting a bunch of questions on it and I had never done it. So I wanted to be able to speak intelligently on the subject. Um, but I felt great, you know, but I, I didn't feel like it was something that I needed to, I mean, I documented all my YouTube channel, but I don't, I don't ever think doing something and, suggesting that everybody should do it. And if you don't, I mean, people beat themselves up over pretty petty things. I mean, not that fasting is a petty thing, but I mean, if you don't make it three days like everybody else and you wind up backlashing and beating yourself up, I mean, that's that's not a good thing, you know? It so don't do that. It literally sets people off on a binge because they didn't make their fasting goal, which not only undoes all any good work they did, it just is such a mental thing. I mean, <laughs> it, it's, it's crazy. It really is. Your motivation for fasting needs to be, I want to heal my body. That's it. Totally agree. Totally agree. 
Well, Jessica, I've absolutely loved this conversation. I've learned a ton. I feel like the audience will have learned a ton. Um, where can people go to find out more about you and, and follow along with the story? Because I have a feeling it's you're just getting warmed up. I am kind of getting warmed up. I, I'm writing a book. And I haven't told people the name of the book, but I'm going to right now. It's it's going to be a while before it comes out. But it's called Letters to Ed. Um, Ed being my eating disorder. And um, I'm going to be sharing some pages from my journal along with writing about my story. Because um, I used to write to Ed in my journal and, and talk to him directly about how he messed up my life and, and things like that. So anyway, you're the first person I'm kind of like publicly telling that to, letters to Ed. Um, but um, in the meanwhile, I do coaching at cuteevangelistcoaching.com, Jessica Reynolds. And you can find me on Facebook at Coach Jessica and on Instagram at Coach Jessica. Beautiful. I will link that to those so people can easily find you. And you'll be at KetoCon in just a few days. You're, you're going to be there what day? I We're getting into town. We leave tomorrow morning. So we'll be there um, tomorrow at about 4 o'clock. Um, so we'll be at town and we'll, I'll be there for the conference. The, the KetoCon is put on by Keto Evangelist. And since I work for Keto Evangelist, I'm a, I'm a volunteer. Um mandatory volunteer no i love doing it <laughs> but yes i'll be at keto con i'd love to see anybody uh everyone it's the best part is seeing the people i mean super excited to have clients coming so it's going to be great very cool well this this podcast will go live on friday if all goes well so anybody that's listening that's going to be at keto con definitely go find jessica hunter down and pick a brain all right awesome and i'd love to talk to anyone about anything keto eating disorders anything Awesome. Well, Jessica, again, I truly do appreciate the time. I appreciate you being honest and open with everything. Yeah, and having me on, I really, that means a lot to me. Definitely, definitely. Anytime. Okay, bye. Take care.